Uh, we are in the middle of a brand new series called Address the Mess, and we are glad that you're here, but I, I want to start with a, a question, and the question is this. Have you ever been in a mess that seemed too big to clean up? Like a mess that was just way too big for you to clean up. I, I have a lot of stories of messes that I've made uh, that required a whole lot of cleanup. And one of them I, I'm not very proud of. Uh, you know, my dad, he, he, he's a pastor. And um, he, he pastored in O'Fallon for 16 years. And he had one staff member with him, Mona Downs. And it was his, she was the associate youth pastor. And we were very, very close. She was actually here for the 10-year celebration. And then she drove all the way from Springfield to be a part of our Wright City launch as well. And uh, I say all that to say that I want you to understand what I'm about to tell you. We still have a really, really good relationship, okay? Uh, but there was one night where, uh, you know, her and my dad, they had an office in O'Fallon, and she lived in a duplex. She had a roommate named Robin, and I thought it would be a good idea to break into her house. And so one day after school, I went up to the church office and I stole her uh, garage door opener and I convinced some other guys in the youth group that it would be hilarious to go and break into Mona's house. And so we, I went and picked up some of the guys and we went to Mona's house. We went through the garage door and we thought it would be really funny to hide underneath her bed. And so here we are, four uh, 17 to 18-year-old boys um, hiding underneath a grown woman's bed. And so Mona came home from the office that night, and luckily she did not get changed. I just want to make that very, very clear. And I clearly didn't think that through either, but she just kind of just jumped into bed, went to bed. And so she turned the lights off, got in her bed, and here are four boys underneath there. And we thought, hmm, let's start making ghost noises. And so we start going, Ooh! and Mona, Mona goes, what the, what, what the, what, what, what? And then, I mean, just like little boys, we just start giggling, right? We just, you know, stuff like that. And so we run out from under the bed. And I remember Mona goes, Michael, Michael. And so we go running out of the bed. Well, screams. Mona just started screaming. And her roommate, Robin, didn't understand what was going on. But she was right across the hall. She comes out with a bat, okay? And she doesn't know who we are or what we're doing. And so here comes Robin. Ah! like just swinging this bat, hitting walls and stuff. So we go running out through the kitchen. There was a back door. And then she had these stairs with one of those half walls, you know, where you, you know, they had like a little uh, ledge where you'd put decorative stuff. She had real plants. And I ran out of there and I just clotheslined one of the plants. I mean, several of them actually. It kind of had a domino effect. And so I just go and I clothesline these plants and they go down these carpeted stairs and just boom, 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 boom. Just like a slinky, just hit every single step perfectly, and dirt came pouring out. We ran out the back door, jumped in my car, and drove away. And then my dad was waiting for me. I went and dropped off all of my buddies, and I pulled up, and my dad was waiting for me at the front door. And uh, he goes, where have you been? And I was, I was just hanging out with some guys from music group. You know, I was just like... You know, and he, Mona had already called and made it uh, abundantly clear um, that uh, I had been hiding underneath her bed and that I did what I did. So anyway, uh, but 
I had, he sent me right back over to Mona's. He goes, you have to go to Mona's house right now and clean this up. And I went over there and those stairs were covered with dirt and it just, it looked terrible. And so I spent the whole night vacuuming and cleaning and carpet cleaning and, and, and all this stuff. And it was a, a really, really big mess. And so, you know what? Mona showed me so much grace showed me all the grace in the world like and, and I have so many stories of things I've done to pour Mona Downs uh, I just I have a lot of things to make up for in life but she showed me so much grace and so I say that to say to all of our teenagers in the room I am absolutely sure that if you did something like that to Pastor Ashley that she would show you the same <laughs> amount of grace and so Teens, YOLO, okay? That's all I want to say. But, um, but what do you do? What do you do when you're in a mess that is just, it seems like the hole is too deep. It's too big of a mess. It, it's too, it seems way too big to clean up. What do you do when, you, when you're in a mess like that? And that's what we're going to talk about today. But if you're just catching up with us, we started last week this series uh, called Address the Mess. And we talked about what a hot mess is, right? A hot mess is an attractive mess. It's somebody who's in, in deep but still able to function on the outside. And we talked about how every single one of us have been a mess, are a mess, or are one stupid mistake away from being in a mess all over again. And what do we do with that? We, when we recognize that I'm a mess, that I've been in a mess, or I might be in a mess in the future, what does that do when I look at all the other little messes around the world? Well, we, we kind of confess this, right? I know a mess when I see one because I've been one. Actually, we're going to say that together, all right? Ready? One, two, three. I know a mess when I see one because I've been one. I've been one myself. And when we look at the words of Paul, when, when Paul talked about what this looks like when he wrote the Romans, which when, with the Roman Christians, some of them were, were old school, old, old covenant Christians. Some of them were, were Gentile, new covenant Christians. But he writes them and he talks about that, that every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. That every single one of us are a mess or have been a mess or will be a mess in the future. And so when he, when he writes this letter, he says, this should cause us to do two things. Two things. And the first thing is that it should silence us. When we look at other people, when we look at the other messes of the world, it should silence us. Because a lot of times, what a lot of us like to offer is instead of compassion, we offer criticism. We offer judgment. But Paul says, when you recognize that you are a mess, when you see all the other messes of the world, what it should do is it should cause you to be silenced. But he says something else that was very theological, very deep. And it's something that, that, that Paul noticed. It's something that C.S. Lewis would notice later. C.S. Lewis was an atheist, and he turned Christian. And it was able, he was able to see this and reason himself to believe that God was real. And it's this. is that when we acknowledge our messes, we acknowledge the presence of God. When we acknowledge our messes, we acknowledge the presence of God. Every single one of us, whether we know the scriptures, whether we know God, whatever it may be, we, it doesn't matter. Every single one of us has the spirit of God speaking to us. Every single one of us has a conscience and has a standard that, that, that we, we feel inside of us. It's an ought to inside of you that didn't originate with you. And where does that come from? What is that? What is that standard that we all uphold, that we argue with other people that we are keeping? 
Well, that's something beyond. That's something divine. That's something greater than us. And C.S. Lewis, when he saw this and when he thought of this, he thought, man, what is that thing? But it has to be the presence of God. And so when we acknowledge that I'm a mess, that I'm not perfect, I'm admitting that there is an unmess, that there is a perfect out there. Something that I can appeal to, something that I'm accountable to, something that's over me and beyond me. And so we talked a little bit about that and unpacked that. And I was so excited to see, there's a lot of people, a lot of my friends that watch that or atheists and humanists, and they're like, you're, you're creating a very compelling argument that there is a God. And I said, well, that's exactly what C.S. Lewis said. And, and we talked about, one of the things we believe is that this mess of our world, this mess that we are, it's what brought God near to the world. But, but here's an even more personal way to say it, and this is what we're going to talk about today. The mess that has, this mess has the potential to bring God near to you. The mess that you're in right now, or the mess that you will be in in the future, or the mess that you were previously in, it is an opportunity. And it's not an opportunity created by God. I've said this so many times. I don't believe everything happens for a reason. That's a cruel thing to put on God. I'm not saying that at all. But when we find ourselves in messes, and most of them are ones that we created, that is an opportunity for God to come near to you. And that was the thing that we tried to connect last week, is that to acknowledge the messes around me and to acknowledge that, that is, there is a God, that little ding of my conscience, that little bit of guilt that I feel, it's not there to make me feel bad, and it's not there to motivate me to try harder. What it is there to do, it is there to remind me that God has not given up on me. It is a reminder that God is drawing near to me in the hopes that my response like the prodigal son would be that I would draw near to him. So we're going to unpack that a little bit. We're going to unpack what do you do when you're in a mess that seems too big for you to clean up? And, and to kind of find some of the answers to that, we have to look at one of the most famous verses you know, in, in the Bible. You all guys, guys all know it, John three sixteen, right? For, for God so loved the messy world that he sent his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. But what about the verse after that? What about John three seventeen? Do you know that one? It's already on the screen, so now you do. But, but it reads like this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. For God did not send his son in the world to what? To condemn. He did not send his son to condemn the world. They, that's what they expected. That's what they thought. They thought, oh man, God is coming back. This prophecy is going to be fulfilled. And man, oh man, he's going to condemn us. He is going to judge us. He, he is going to be critical of us. But that's not what happened. Instead, he did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. He, here's what you need to know. Is that when you find yourself in a mess, Jesus is not, not on a mission to condemn you. Jesus is not on a mission to hurt you. Jesus is not trying to put his thumb on you and make you feel this small. Jesus is come to save you. Even today, even now when we find ourselves in a mess, Jesus wants to save us from that mess. Jesus wants to deliver us from that mess. And throughout the New Testament, if you don't believe me, throughout the New Testament you see all these stories 
All these illustrations of times when Jesus was there to save people and to not condemn them. And, and I, I really recommend to you, look, I mean, don't, don't count on me to read the Bible to you. You need to read the Bible for yourself and through your own lens. But, but if you go through, there are just so many stories where Jesus, he didn't condemn the world. He didn't condemn the people, the messes of the world who were brought before him. One of them, and again, I'm going to talk about several of them, but you probably have heard a lot of these, but the, the woman who was caught in adultery, right? The woman who was caught in adultery, she, she's caught in adultery, and, and the Pharisees, they wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to throw him in this tricky situation where he had to say the wrong thing. And so they catch this woman in adultery. They let the guy go, and they basically kidnap her, keep her overnight, and they know that Jesus is going to be at the temple the very next day. And so they kidnap her the next day. They wake her up. They drag her through the streets. They bring her to Jesus and they go, hey, this woman was caught in adultery. What do you do about this? Because the law, the, the, the 613 commands that are given to them in the Old Testament said, stone her, kill her, be done with her, condemn her. And so Jesus looks at him and, and looks at her. She's down. She's got her head down. She's basically waiting to be executed. And Jesus, he, he bends down. He writes something in the sand. We have no clue what it is, but I, I kind of always like to think of it as it takes one to know one. And he tells every single one of them, if you're without sin, then go ahead. Pick up, pick up a rock and, and throw the first stone. And so they leave in shame. And this woman, she has her head down. She knows she's in a mess. She no, knows she's made a mess of her life. She knows she's in trouble. And do you know what Jesus says to her? Jesus says to her, look at me. Look at me. And he tells the woman, I do not condemn you. Where, where, are your, where are the people who are critical of you? Who, where are the people who wanted to kill you? They're no longer here. Look at me. And he offers, offers her, he invites her to follow him and to leave her life of sin behind. Later on, there's a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Tax collector. If you don't know anything about tax collectors, they were the most despised people of the community. They were thieves. Because they were required by the government to charge people for their taxes. But they always took more than they were supposed to. So you had these men who were just thieves. They hurt the community. They ruined people's lives. They were crooked. And so they always had to have bodyguards and people who protected them because everybody wanted to kill them. But Zacchaeus, he's out collecting taxes and stuff. And here's this guy, Jesus, who's in town. And, and Zacchaeus is curious. And so you maybe grew up in church and you remember the story, right? Zacchaeus was a what? A wee little man. You can't say that anymore, guys. All right? That's not PC, okay? You can't say he's a wee little man. He was a small person. Let's say that, okay? Truth is, he probably wasn't any shorter than me. So, I mean, if, we, if we're going by those standards, right? But he, he, was a, he was a small person in stature, but, oh, he had so much power, and he had done so many things wrong. He was in such a mess, but he couldn't see Jesus. And so he finds this tree, and he climbs up in this tree. And he's looking down at Jesus, and Jesus looks up at him. And he thinks to himself, oh, man, I've done it now. I have really done it now. I'm a mess. I know I am a mess, and I have caused some trouble. And now this guy who claims to be the son of God, God in human form, he's looking up at me. And what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says to him, come down to me. Come down to me, Zacchaeus. 
So Zacchaeus climbs down from the tree. Jesus puts his hands on his shoulders and he goes, Zacchaeus, we're going to your house today. Go into your house today. Come on, come with me, Zacchaeus. Show me where you live. And so he goes and he has a private conversation with Jesus. And Jesus, once again, invites him to change his life. He invites him to leave his old life behind. And he goes, Zacchaeus, you're in such a mess. Zacchaeus, if you, if you want to get yourself out of this mess, here's what you're going to need to do. You're going to need to leave here and you're going to need to pay everybody back what you've stolen from them. And you know what Zacchaeus does? Zacchaeus answers the invitation and he leaves that meeting with Jesus. Jesus goes his way and Zacchaeus goes out and he not only pays every single person back, but he instead pays them with interest. He gives them more back than the law even required to the point where Zacchaeus had nothing left. Literally, everything that he had, he gave away to try to make up for what he had done. Then you have the, the woman at the well. Jesus was traveling between cities. He goes off. He breaks off from his disciples because he knows she's out there. And she's a Samaritan woman. Jews and Samaritans don't talk. But that was just a small part of the pu puzzle. The biggest part of the puzzle was is that this woman had already been married five times. I mean, in today's standards, that, that's a lot, right? But I mean, back then, oh my goodness, right? I mean, she's the champion of marriage. And then the scriptures tell us that the man she was even currently staying with wasn't even her husband. So, I mean, th this woman's been with wh who knows how many men. And Jesus, he knows this. He goes and he, he asks her for a drink, which is a, a courteous thing to do in itself. And, and Jesus tells her everything he knows about her. And she's astonished. And he goes, you know, I, I have something for you. The, the, this water can quench your thirst, but... I have something that could, could take care of everything, that could get you out of this mess, that could help you. And he tells the woman this. He tells her, come close to me. And she leaves. She leaves that conversation with Jesus, and she goes back to everyone in her village, everyone she meets, and she goes, I believe that I have just met the Messiah. And then a huge one, a big one, a one we're actually going to talk about in October when we talk about heaven. Jesus is put up on a cross for you, for me, for all the little messes of the world. And as he's standing there, there is a man who has done something so wrong. He has been in such a mess that they decide he, this man isn't even worthy of, of, of prison. He needs to be put to death. He needs to be executed. We need a public display to show people that what this man just did, no one should ever do. And as Jesus is hanging on the cross, there's a man next to him who says, Father, I, I am so glad I am here with you. I believe you are who you say you are. And this man's given up hope. He knows he's about to die. He knows he deserves what he's about to get. And he's completely given up, but he's completely surrendered himself to Jesus. And do you know what Jesus offers this man? Jesus looks at the criminal next to him on the cross, and he says this to me. You're coming with me. Think about all the little messes that we've just talked about. People who have embezzled and, and who are crooked, who have stolen money from people. People who have had 
who knows how many affairs, people who have jumped through relationships and, and done all sorts of wrong, people who have maybe possibly murdered or hurt other people. I mean, we're talking about the worst of the worst. And every single time when Jesus encountered these people, he offered a solution to their mess. He offers himself. And the thing is, is that with every single person, Jesus offered himself as the solution to everyone. He offers himself as the solution to the problem. And I want you to catch something that's so important with each of these stories. If you go through these, and there's so many more stories, through each mess that people are in, Jesus invites people to follow him while they were still messy. Not after they figured out their mess. Not after they cleaned up their act. Not after they got right with Jesus. In the middle of their mess that they're still in, that they're still working through, that they're still going through, that they still haven't completely figured out, that they haven't perfected, Jesus invites them to follow him. Because it was through following him that they would find their way out of the mess. And for you, in the mess that you're in right now, or the mess that you will be in the future, here's what you need to understand. You need to understand that the solution, the only way out of this mess, is to follow Jesus out of it. And the invitation is the same for you. Your invitation in front of you is to follow him. And here's the good news. You can still do it while you're still messy. You can still do it as you're in the middle of it. There's so many people that I, I, I've, I've been friends to that I've invited them to church and they're like, you don't want me in that place. The roof's gonna cave in, man. You don't want me in that place. Lightning would probably strike. I'm like, dude, I walk in there every Sunday and the lights just flicker. It's gonna be okay, you know? We have this idea that we have to be perfect, but the thing is, is, is that God doesn't want you to be perfect and knows that you can't be perfect. He wants you as your messy self, because as your messy self, he can actually have a relationship with you. Shortly after the, the woman who was caught in adultery, the story's found in John, Jesus says something else that, that, that John writes down, and this is, this is what he said. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. He wanted every single person to know. He wanted every single person to understand that when you're in the middle of a mess, when you're in a hole that you can't get yourself out of, when you find yourself in that situation and you're in a dark place, he goes, I, want, I need everybody to understand who I am and what I've come to be. I am a light in the dark place. I am the only light there is. I am the only option that there is. You can't work yourself through this. You can't motivate yourself through this. There's no 30-day program. There's nothing like that. I am the light of the world. And I have come in the middle of your mess. I've come in the middle of your darkness to guide you and to show you a way out. And then he says this next. He says, I'm the light of the world and whoever follows me Whoever follows me, and I want to be so clear about this because this is a, a thing that as Christians and as churchgoers, we get wrong so many, so many times about what, what does that word follow mean? And, and I want to put it really simple. It's this, the people that chose to follow Jesus surrendered to Jesus. You got to understand this. 
The people that chose to follow Jesus out of their mess, they didn't just change their Facebook status, okay? They didn't just slap a bumper sticker on the back. They surrendered their life to Jesus. Zacchaeus, he didn't leave that house thinking, well, that was a good tidbit. I'm going to have a great small group discussion about that this week. No, what did he do? He put it into action. He surrendered his life and he sold all of his possessions and he gave everything back that he needed to give back. The woman at the well, she went back to her village. She didn't go back to that relationship. She went back and she began to preach the gospel truth that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Matthew got up from the tax collector's table and he joined the disciples and he never looked back. Look, here's the thing. If you're in the middle of a mess or you're in the mess in the future and you're trying to find yourself out of that, it's very simple for me to go to say, well, the solution is Jesus and you just start trying to pray your way out of it. But that is not how Jesus works. The only way that Jesus can help you out of the dark as a light and a guide in your life is for you to follow him, which means you have to surrender your life to him. You can't keep your old life and put it together with your new life. It doesn't work that way. You've got to walk away from your old life. You've got to walk away from the tax collector's booth. You've got to walk out of there and start making amends. And like the thief on the cross, die right there and be made new. And start a new life, start a new chapter, walking with Jesus. Because I've said this before, save Save, savior, friend, those are things that Jesus did, but king is who he is. And as king, he wants to be the context of your life. Not just a reference point. And then he says this, Jesus, and the rest of it, he goes, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know what that means? That doesn't mean that things are gonna be sunshine and rainbows. Doesn't mean you're never going to screw up. Doesn't mean that you're not going to find your, not going to not find yourself in a mess again. He says, but you'll have a light that no matter if you ever fall into one of those traps, you can, you can find your way out. That the light in your life will help you navigate through that and find yourself out of that mess. And the thing that Jesus was saying is this, since since you weren't following Jesus into your mess, you will need to follow him to find your way out. You can't pray yourself out of it. Jesus isn't AAA. You'll have to follow him out of it. I love what he said in Matthew. Matthew, he talks about everything that he's teaching. And this is what he says. He says to him, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Here's the thing. You have an option here. You have an option every single day. You have an option every single Sunday. And that is, is to put what you've just heard into practice or to completely ignore it. And you could totally ignore it. I don't know what you do during the week, okay? Unless you tell me, hey, I really put that into practice, and it was great. Fantastic. But I don't check up on you, right? I don't do house calls. I don't say, hey, are you doing what we talked about on Sunday? I don't do that. This is your choice. This is your option. This is your life. This is between you and, you and God. And Jesus goes, whoever takes everything that I've just told them, and they don't put it into practice, I just want to be very, very clear of the result, is that you have just put yourself on shaky ground. 
is that you are going to find yourself, you're going to live a life that's going to have these ups and downs, and it's going to feel like you're on a roller coaster, and there's going to be good days, and there's going to be bad days, and it's going to be messy, unmessy, I'm between messes right now. He says, if you don't continually follow me and keep the light of life with you, if you don't do that, I just want to be very clear, it's going to get shaky, guys. Your life is going to have a lot of turmoil. It's going to have a lot of up and downs. Your marriage, your finances, your kids, your relationship with your kids, your career, your health, your, your anxiety, your sexuality, whatever it is. I just want to understand that if you don't take these words and put them into practice, you've just put yourself on a very shaky foundation. But the choice is up to you. And then he says this. He says, therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The key word that I want you to grab there is built. The wise man who built his house on the rock. Do you know what that means to me? That means whenever I read that, I look at that and I go, you know what? If I put these words into practice, it's not a one and done scenario, right? It's not a one and done thing. It's a continual thing. But if I take these words of Jesus and I put them to practice in my life, my life will be built upon the rock. And building, you guys all know building. Building is what? Building is a process, is it not? My life is built. It's over time. It's a lifetime thing of I'm never done. If there were, was one critique or, or one problem, I would say there is with, with our generation of Christians or our generation of followers of Jesus, is probably one of two things. Is that a lot of us, we start the process, but we don't commit to the process of being built on the rock. We're, we're, like, we're like gyms in January, right? Everybody signs up for the gym in January and gets all these goals, right? And they go for like two, three weeks. They lose a couple pounds and they go, I think I just deserve some ice cream. And then here it goes. And then a couple weeks later, you, you cancel your membership, right? And a lot of us, that's how we are with Jesus. Is we'll take a message or we'll take a word or we'll take a piece of scripture. We'll take something that Jesus taught and we'll put it into practice for a little bit. And we'll get going and we'll go, well, now it's, I think I'm to the point I deserve a little fun. I think, I think I got a handle on this. I think I can try to balance my new life with my old life. I, feel, I think I can still have a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of this over here. And let me tell you something. It never works. It never works works and it never lasts and i've had way too many conversations if i didn't feel like i'd hurt somebody's feelings or they'd find out i told the story i wish i could i wish i could read you some of the emails or tell you about some of the phone conversations i have with people where they start out so on fire for jesus and putting everything that jesus teaches into practice in their life and then they backpedal they backstep, they try to balance both things, and they end up in a hole. I wish I could tell you how many stories of those I have. But the other thing is this. The other critique of our generation is that, and this is probably an even bigger one of Christians and Christianity today, is that there are so many Christians who think that their life is already built. 
That when they read that, when they say being built on the house, they're like, that's right. I was built on the rock and I'm done. My house is done. My house is complete. All the renovations are finished. And that's not even an age thing. I'm not even just knocking old people who have been Christians their whole life. I I know a lot of 30-year-olds who think that because they grew up in church or they know all the stories and they know all the scripture verses that I just shared, that they're done. That Jesus has built the house on the rock and it has no more renovations or room for improvement. And the thing is, is that a lot of us walking around thinking that our stuff don't stink and they have no understanding that there are so many people around us who are holding their nose. You're not done. You have a lifetime where Jesus wants to continue to build your life. And you're never to a point where you're just finished. You're never to a point where you're done learning. God is going to continually transform your life. But Jesus says this. He he makes us a promise. He goes, but let me tell you something. If you would put these words into practice, if you would help me, let me help you build your life, this is what he says. He says, then the rain came down, and the streams came up, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Jesus tells us, I am not promising you that there won't be storms in your life. There's going to be tons of storms. I promise you, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have messes. You will have things that you don't ever necessarily decide your way into, but will be put on you. And let me tell you, those are going to be rough. Those days are going to be hard. But here's what I want to promise you. I will never steer you wrong. And if you put these words into practice, if you follow me, If you follow me when the rains come down and the flood waters come up, you will be able to survive. You will have resilience. You will stand firm because your foundation will not be based on your motivation. Your foundation will not be based on your strength. Your foundation will be built on me because I am the light of the world. So let me ask you a question. Are you right now in a mess? Are you right now in a mess that is way too big for you to clean up? A mess that maybe you haven't told anybody about, that people don't know. You're kind of just waiting for them to ask and find out. Or maybe you'll get caught and then maybe we'll all find out. Maybe it's a mess in your marriage. Maybe it's a mess in your relationship. Maybe it's a mess with your sexuality. Maybe it's a mess with pornography. Maybe it's a mess with drugs. Maybe it's a mess with your health. Maybe it's a mess with your finances. Maybe it's just a mess on how you treat other people. If you find yourself in that kind of mess, just just think to yourself, this is a conversation between you and me. What's your game plan? What's the end game? How are you going to get yourself out of this mess? Because if it's just waiting it out, I want to let you know, it's not just going to go away. And if your solution is, well, I'm just going to try harder. Man, I've seen so many people try that route, and it never works out. 
If your solution is to try to pray it away, pray it away. I got bad news for you. It's not how God works. God's not just going to turn off a switch inside of you. If he turned off that switch, he would have to turn off all kinds of other switches that are good. And so that's, that's not going to work either. But you do have an option. You have an option to follow Jesus out of it. To allow Jesus to take the condition that you're in and build your life up. But you've got to take these words. You've got to take these things that we talk about every single Sunday. You've got to take your own faith into your hands and begin reading through those scriptures and not wait for me to bring up these issues, but for you to go through and to learn what living like Jesus looks like and to put them into practice for yourself. And your prayer should not be, God, get me out of this mess. Your prayer should be, Jesus, help me to be more like you. Help me to take what that verse says. Help me to take what you practice there. Help me to take what Paul said here and help me to do that every single day. That, that is your way out of this mess. So here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to stand with me. And I want you to just bow your heads right where you are. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes, And nobody's looking. This is just between you and God. This is just between you and me. You know your life. You know your life better than me. I don't even know half the stuff that's going on with you right now. And one of those things that I talked about, or some of those things that I talked about, that may have been specifically for you. That may have just touched the nerve of like, oh my goodness, does he know? Does he know the mess I'm in? Does he know what is going on in my life? Do you, does he know the fight that we've been having? Does he know what we've been agonizing over? Does he know what I've been doing? I don't. But God does. And here's the thing. If you're in the middle of a mess, God is standing over you just like that woman who was caught. And Jesus is saying, come with me. Look at me. Come down. I, I have not come to condemn you. I have not come to judge you. I have not come to make you feel bad about yourself. I don't want to make you feel guilty. I'm not here to put my thumb down on you. I'm here because I love you and I want you to know I haven't given up on you. And that I've seen the hole that you've been digging and I want to help you out of it. But, but I'm not a magic genie. I can't snap this away. You've got to repent. You've got to turn this around. And the only way you can do that is not by your own strength or your own motivation. You've got to follow me out of this. If your prayer this morning is Father God... Father, I am in a mess. And I need you to be the light of my life in this situation right now. I want, and again, nobody's looking around. Nobody else knows. I want you to just raise your hand if that's you this morning. If you're saying, like, I am in a dark place right now. I need some guidance. And I need to follow my way out of it. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. See, you have no idea how many other hands just went up all around you. And that's because we're all in a little bit of a mess right now. If I were sitting where you were sitting, I'd raise my hand too. Because I've been in an emotional mess myself. But you know what? That's what brings us all here together today. It's what makes us love each other that much more. Is recognizing that not only do I need to follow my way out of this. Not only do I need Jesus to be the king of my life. But I also need these other messes around me. I also need these friends and these people who are struggling just like me. To build this life. That is... That is worthy of continuing on. That God, for some reason, does love. This morning as we worship and we sing about that love that God has for us. I want to invite you to either continue praying. To go in the back. Gwen. Mike Lair. Ram is or on the back. If you want to pray with those people, I want to invite you to pray with somebody else this morning. Don't leave here the same way you came. Be like the Zacchaeus. Be like the woman at the well. Don't leave here the same, but walk out of here putting into practice what God has laid on your heart today. Father God, we give you our lives this morning. Father God, we surrender ourselves to you. You know the mess we've been in and you know the messes that are ahead in life. So God, as you've seen some of us raise our hand this morning, would you help me to put into practice what you've told me today? Would you help me to follow you out of this mess? In your name we pray. Amen.